0: message in the way of a title it would be what a fool believes this is a really risky question in fact it's a risky illustration I'm about to give you but I'm going to give it to you anyhow how many of you know who the Doobie brothers are (laughs) okay you know who they're good okay they wrote this song called what a fool believes now if you don't know what that's about if you just sing it you don't realize what it's about it's not gonna be anything but let me try to tell you what it's about it's about this guy who had a relationship with a female sometime in the past. They split apart, and then they happened to cross each other's paths again. And what they find is that this guy thinks that that relationship was far more than what it really was. You get the picture? He was really interested then. He's really interested now. Now. And she's pretty much clueless. So here's just one line from that song, and then I'll get into the message. What a fool believes, he sees. No wise man has the power to reason away what seems to be. It's always better than nothing. There's nothing at all. But a fool believes what he sees. The reason I share that with you this morning is because you've got to know what you believe. You've got to know what the truth is. Not what the pizza last night that you ate tells you you should believe. Not what the indigestion from whatever you had for dinner tells you to believe. Not from what all the stresses of life tell you to believe. But you've got to know what you believe. So let's tackle this scripture. There came to Jesus some Sadducees. They deny that there is a resurrection. Now, I want to tell you, if you were to go right now and look at Luke chapter 20, what you're going to find out is a theme in that chapter. And the theme is this, controversy. In in Luke 20, they have questioned Jesus' authority. Jesus tells them, you know, that parable of the master of the vineyard where the father sends the servants to the vineyard, and and finally he sends his son to find out what's going on in the vineyard, and they kill his son. Um, There's just all kinds of controversy. And in that parable, Jesus identifies himself as the stone that the builders rejected. And everybody gets mad because he said that, so there's really a whole lot of controversy in this chapter. And as you read this morning, the scripture with me, you probably did not pick this up. Controversies all over this passage. To fully understand the passage, you need to know that the Sadducees, you know, you had your Pharisees, you had your Sadducees. The, the Sadducees were really very, very incredibly conservative people. So conservative that they would not let you add anything to what they believed how it was. What they believed is the way it is. And I guess I should stop and tell you, too, that, you know, God's been so good to me because y- you, you come to church. I get to study. I get to write. I get to look into the scriptures in a way that probably many of you do not. And you know what God's done with me across time? 37 years of this. You know what God's done with me? He's changed my mind a a number of times. He's taught me some things that 20 years ago I didn't believe or I wouldn't buy into, but today he's changed that. All because I have the chance to really dig deep into the word. These Sadducees would have none of that. (laughs) Now they were also a little bit better off than we are. They only had five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they believed what they believed because Moses said what he said in those books. I want you to think about this for a minute. Sadducees didn't believe in angels. Sadducees did not believe in spirits. Sadducees did not believe in any form of the resurrection of the dead. And their point was, Moses doesn't really flesh that out for us. When the the resurrection of Jesus took place, and the book of Acts starts, and the the apostles go out to preach, in Acts chapter 4, it said that Peter and John are preaching Jesus risen from the dead. They're preaching the resurrection. Do you know who objected to that? The Sadducees. We'll let you go so far. You can say so much, but you are not going to go there. You go look real close in John chapter 10, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the Pharisees got upset. The the scripture says that because he was risen from the dead, Lazarus, many were now converting to belief in Jesus. Do You know what the Sadducees said? Literally, let's kill Lazarus. They weren't real flexible with what they believed. And they really didn't become real flexible with this notion of resurrection and of living eternally. Now the problem is, their time has come and gone. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, long time ago. Time has passed. History has changed. Israel's gone through so much. And now Jesus has come on the scene. And the world has changed. The landscape is different. Greek thought was running most of the thinking of the day. And what you need to know about Greek thought is that it bought in wholly and solely to an eternal life. So Jesus comes along, and the message of resurrection is going to be not only preached, but eventually lived on that first Easter Sunday morning. The Pharisees, the, the opposing group, they were, they were kind of okay with that. They're living in the day. The Sadducees, on the other hand, are saying, "Huh." uh not going to have anything with it. And so their, their question, which we're going to get into here momentarily, is really about the fact that they didn't believe in this notion of a resurrection. So let's get to the question. Look, if you would, at that 28th verse. They asked Jesus a question. They said, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and he has a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother first off, I hope you see this is a hypothetical. It's not something that actually happened. But they're saying, hypothetically, if a guy had, you know, six brothers, seven in total, and this one marries and dies, no children, on and on down the line, that's the basis for the question. And it's based on what was known as leveret marriage. It's just simply that. If you died without a child, your brother had to take on that wife. Because the name had to live on. It's your responsibility to do that. And you had to bring children to carry on that name. This morning I was thinking to myself, not only is what they're about to do, their question, an aberration. It's really absurd. And I'll tell you why it's absurd. Where where they're going to get to is, you know, the notion That in the resurrection or in heaven, that we're going to need to have, if you would, gender, or we're going to need to have, if you would, sexual partners that we had in this life. Now, I'm going to stop for a minute and say to you, because I had somebody get real mad at me one time for this. This is probably the first time I've preached on this, but so many people go through. I I had a lady one time got so mad at me because I wouldn't admit that when we die, we become angels. She got mad because I wouldn't do that. I've had people get mad because I've said, you know, in heaven, you're not going to be married. Now, some of you, that upsets. Some of you just wanted to shout amen. But I just want to state up front what Jesus is saying here. The Sadducees' question assumed something. And it assumed that in the resurrection and in the eternal state and in heaven, if you would, We are going to be reunited with the partners that we had in marriage in this life. That's what they're saying. Let's go a little bit further. Now, there are seven brothers, and I'm going to zip through about four of these verses. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died without children. And the second, and the third took her. And likewise, all seven left no children and died. Afterward, the woman also died. Here's the question. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will this woman be? For the seven had her as a wife. Now, I've got to tell you, I wish Jesus would have had a little humor right here. I w- well, really, I wish he would have brought up Solomon. Remember, remember the two women that brought the baby and they both claimed it? Jesus could have just said, well, we're just going to chop her up in seven pieces and they I'll get a little bit. He didn't do that. He had to get real serious. Jesus said to them, "The sons of this age marry, and are given in marriage. But those who are worthy, to cons- those who are considered worthy to attain to that age, and to the resurrection from the dead, they neither marry, nor are giving given in marriage. These Sadducees are projecting onto Jesus." Their view of the world. Remember, Sadducees don't believe in resurrection in the first place. I'm going to make a big deal with that here in a little bit. But just keep that in the back of your head. They're trying to trip Jesus up on the notion of resurrection. And they're projecting onto him their worldview. The way that they see things, how they are here. If there was a place where we go after death, how things would be there. For they cannot die anymore. They're equal to angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. Just so you know, eternal life, what the Old Testament, the few places where the Old Testament talks about heaven, it would call the life after death, it would refer to it as the eternal state. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Now look at the 37th verse. This this verse is going to be pivotal but that the dead are raised. It's an awkward phrasing of words right there, but that the dead are raised. So let's just tell you what he's really saying. There is a resurrection. (laughs) Okay, when he says there, but that the dead are raised, Jesus is actually saying there is a resurrection. Even Moses showed that. In the passage about the bush, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Just so you get this, Jesus has just said that Moses, Moses, all the way back there, taught about the resurrection. And if you are a Sadducee, and you only have five books that you've got to study, not 66 like we have, five books, you have studied them and you know them like the back of your hand, this man has just told you that you missed something. This man has just told you that they missed something utterly important that they have based much of their belief system on, and that is the notion that there is no resurrection. And Jesus says, there's a resurrection. Even Moses talked about it at the burning bush when he mentioned Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so their immediate question is going to be, and you'll notice that I haven't got to the 38th verse yet, (laughs) how can that be? How could it be that I missed that? How could it be that Moses taught? I don't see it. What are you talking about, Jesus? Okay. Strap on your seatbelt for a minute. Y'all strapped in? I just took you down Highway 1. I'm about to take you on an exit ramp. We're going to get onto Highway 2. I need to warn you that there will be a Highway 3. They're necessary places to go for you to understand what's going on here. I want you to look at John 8 verses 57 and 58 for a minute. Jesus has just had a conversation with the Jews and it went something like this. The Jews said to Jesus, you're a Samaritan and you have a demon. And Jesus said, I don't have a demon, I honor my father and you dishonor me, yet I don't seek my own glory. There's only one that seeks my glory, and he is the judge. I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never see death. And the Jews said, well, now we know you've got a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, they'll never die. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? Just so you know, what they're really saying to him is, who do you think you are? The prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus said, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my Father that glorifies me, of whom you say he's our God. Just get it. Jesus says, I don't want to glorify myself. My Father wants to glorify me. And you say you believe in him, but you don't even know who he is. Stay with me. You've not known him. I know him. If I said I didn't know him, I'd be a liar, just like you. (laughs) But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham, remember he's talking to the Jews, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He did see it, and he was glad. Let, let's just understand. I'd give anything if my father, Jerry Foy Atkins from East Liverpool, Ohio, was alive to see my life today. I would love for him to see my kids. I would love for him to see what they've accomplished. I'd love for him to see my grandkids and how they've gone, how his own kids have gone but he died when I was 12. It's not going to happen. And Jesus just looked at these Jews and said, you know, Abraham, several thousand years ago, he longed to see my day, and he's seeing it. And they're saying, well, Abraham died a millennia ago. Who do you think you are? And here in the 57th and 58th verses, so the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now the part that I don't have up there on the screen for you is the very last verse of this chapter, and you've got to hear it. It's real simple. (laughs) So they picked up stones to throw at him. And the question has to be, first off, notice Jesus is talking about resurrection and eternal life. But also notice that there's a question here. Why did they pick up stones? And some of you have heard this discourse before. You've heard me talk about this. But stay with me because I'm going to travel a little bit further with it today. That you have, I know you've never been there with me. Why did they pick up the stones? If you look at that scripture that's up on the screen, the last five words are very important. Before Abraham was, I am. Now the the phrase in particular right there I am is two Greek words ego ego I and me exist I am Did you get that I am So so what would possess them to pick up stones Well these Jews knew immediately what Jesus was implying when he said this You and I may not catch it right off the bat but they knew exactly what Jesus was implying He's just referenced Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and he has used a very peculiar phrase I am. Before Abraham was I exist. Do you get it? Before Abraham was even here I was here. Huh. He thinks he's God. That's blasphemy. We'll stone this rascal to death. So they picked up to stone him. Now, remember what I told you, that the Sadducees know the Old Testament far better, those five books, far better than we do. And I'm going to guess that everybody in the room today, and hopefully most of you listening outside or online watching, are going to know what he's talking about, but in Exodus chapter 3 is the place where Moses is called to from a burning bush to lead the children of Israel up out of bondage. They've been in bondage for 430 years. God's chosen to now let them get out of bondage. Moses is out there in a field watching his father-in-law's stuff because he had murdered one of the Egyptians, and as he's walking out in the field one day, this bush lights up with fire and begins to talk to him. Moses I want you to go back to Egypt and set my people free. You're going to lead them up out of bondage. And in Exodus 3, verse 6, here is the conversation. God speaking, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So the, story continues God's identified himself and Moses kind of has this little back and forth I don't want to do it (laughs) can't you get somebody else I'd really rather stay home on this trip isn't there something else that can be done and then when you get to the 14th verse Moses says if I get down there they ask me who sent me who am I supposed to tell them Now, now here's a funny thing you're not supposed to say the name of God. But Moses is asking for a name to say. When I get down there and they say, Well, who sent you? Who am I going to tell them? And the verse on the screen right now is the one I want you to see. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel I am has sent me to you. That little phrase, I am, is the linking verse church today between Luke 20, Exodus 3, and John chapter 8 because the phrase I am occurs in all of them and it's a pretty unique phrase in the context in which they use. So why are the Jews going to stone Jesus in John 8? Because he referenced back to three, Exodus 3 6 and 14, where, where God spoke and said, I am that I am. When Jesus said, before Abraham existed, I existed, he's saying, I'm God. And right here in the passage that we are at this morning, now he is the God of the dead, but of, not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. What's being said by Jesus? is that a believer in Jesus already participates in eternal life. But its full expression will not be known until we get to the age that is to come. You'll recall, and you probably asked the question when I got there, I meant to mention to you that I'd come back and visit it, but in the 36th verse, Jesus said when people die and they go to the eternal state, they're equal to the angels. Did you catch that where he said that? And so, you know, I've just told you that we don't, we're not angels, but Jesus just said we're equal to the angels. Understand this. His point is not that in the eternal life or the new age, whatever you want to call it, as he calls it here, that believers become angels. That's not his point. His point is, though, that certain characteristics that we have here will no longer exist. We'll be more like the angels there. Will I know who you are? I think I will. Will you know who I am? I think you will. Will I love you like I love you now? I believe I will. Will you love me like you love me now for most of you? I think you will. (laughs) But will there be a need for marriage? Will there be a need for child rearing, if you would, procreation? At the heart of the Sadducees' question, and stay with me because I know this has, been, this has been long-winded. You're probably trying to piece that puzzle together. And I know it's a little bit more cuts than we're used to. But at the heart of the Sadducees' question, they are limiting God's power. Because understand their premise to their question to Jesus is now Jesus in the resurrection, they don't even believe in it. They're trying to trap him they're going to prove him by his own words that there is no resurrection so they bring this absurd question to him seven guys they're all brothers none of them have kids at the end who's going to wind up with the wife in the new age their premise is completely wrong you see what they've done is they've put a governor on god when i was a kid i had a mini bike anybody else here have a mini bike when you were a kid all right, Mark. All right. I mean, when you are eight, nine, ten years old, there's nothing better. You know, riding down your old five horsepower Tecumseh engine Bronco. My brothers introduced me to something. You know on those old Bronco Tecumseh five horsepower engines that they put on those mini bikes, they put a governor on them. The governor was meant so that eight, nine, ten-year-old kids couldn't kill themselves by going faster than they should. My brothers helped me to figure that out, how to get rid of that. Oh, was that fun? We put a governor on God. The Sadducees' question was only going to allow God to go so far. He only has effect here and now. And the notion of an eternal life and the notion of something better than this, it's just not happening. Or maybe they saw resurrection as something like a refurbishing of your home. You know, we're going to do a, a redo. We're going to rip out the old kitchen and we're going to put in the new one. But that's not what Jesus said. In fact, when Paul talks about it, you've heard this at funerals before, when Paul talks about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, he says that our body here is like a seed that's put into the ground. And when it is planted, then it blooms and becomes a beautiful flower or a fruit. That's why, you know, at the the gravesite we always say except a a grain of seed fall into the earth and die, it just remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. That's the concept of the resurrection. Jesus isn't telling us that he wants to rebuild us. He's telling us that he's going to make us something completely new. Take a good look at Jesus's and I know Easter's coming six months from now and I know we've got to get through Advent and Thanksgiving and I, I, I get that but I'm talking resurrection today. So take a good look at Jesus' resurrection for a minute and think about it. Before his death, he was like us. But after he rose from the dead, he was a little bit different. He could eat. His disciples recognized him. Thomas reached out and touched him. The two on the road, they, they, they... they didn't know who he was, and then suddenly they did, so apparently he looked a little bit different perhaps. When they're in that room hiding out, lo and behold, he just basically walks through doors and then walks back out. I mean, he, he just had qualities and abilities that aren't normal. On that road to, uh, on, the, on the road, the Emmaus road, those two are walking with Jesus, and when they finally realize who he is, he just disappears. And my point is this, all that that I've just said to you is to show you that the Sadducees had a wrong basis for their question. They just thought, you know, much like when Lazarus rose from the dead, they just thought that, well, you know, you die, and if if God was going to raise us from the dead, we'd just come back to the same old stuff. You'd still have the issues you have now. You'd still have the limitations you have now. Life really wouldn't be that different. So they come to Jesus with that mindset. Jesus says it's far different. We share the image of Jesus. We're above the angels. Angels sometimes appear as humans in scripture, but they are human beings, or rather spirit beings that have no sexuality in the concept of like you and I do. And the Sadducees in their question are coming and they're denying the very power of God in their question. And Jesus says, I want you to see this. I want you to get it. Remember that last verse. That's not it. Oh, Joel, where would you put it? Where did I put it? It's all the way back here. But that the dead are raised... Even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Jesus is saying, we as believers already participate in the life that is to come. It's just not been fully fleshed out. And Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he didn't say that, well, God was the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He said, God is, because he said, I exist, and I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had died long ago, but Jesus is referring to them as if they're still here, as if they still exist. And they limited God's ability, and that brings me to my bottom line for you today. When you limit God's ability, you deny God's sovereignty. Now, you may say, I don't limit God's ability. Stay with me. What is sovereignty? Supreme power and authority. Supreme power and authority can do anything. The question is. That was put to Jesus today by the Sadducees was simply meant to prove there is no resurrection but by implication it is meant to prove that God is not as powerful as they as Jesus said he was we know this simply because part of the calling card to be a Sadducee meant that you had to deny any possibility of a resurrection the membership card in that club says there's no resurrection. Now you may not say in your life there is no resurrection because you celebrate Easter, you show up for the services, and you celebrate the fact that Christ is risen and risen indeed, and all the things that we do come to the garden alone. But what about this? What about when you find that person in your life that you believe you can't forgive? What about the circumstance in your life where you believe you cannot do it one day longer? What about the person in your life that you say you're not going to be able to deal with anymore? What about the circumstance in your life that you just can't go through again? Because in all of those circumstances, you're deciding to forgive in your own strength. You're deciding to live in your own strength. You're deciding to do in your own strength, and none of them include God in the possibility. Jesus said this verse that we all need to tuck in our back pocket. In Matthew 19, verse 26, Jesus said this, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So how are you limiting God in your life right now? How am I limiting God in my life right now? The Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection. And implicit in saying there is no resurrection is to say that God can't do anything like we say he can, and therefore I've denied God's sovereignty because I have limited God's authority. Jesus is going up to pray. Folks, there's hope. It's 11.13, there's hope. You might be a little bit late to the restaurant, but the roast won't burn, trust me. You're not smiling at me. (laughs) Jesus is going to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. He looks at his disciples in Mark and he says to them, sit here while I pray. And he takes Peter and James and John and he begins to, to, to be distressed and troubled. And he says to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to the point of death. Sit here and watch. And he went a little farther and he fell on the ground and he said... a Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. I want you to see at the very outset what Jesus' bottom line was, what his foundation was. Because it's missing in these Sadducees, and I believe it's missing a lot of us believers. Jesus begins by saying this, in the face of the toughest thing he would ever face, he says, all things are possible with you, God. Father, anything's possible for you. Jesus was not predicating his prayer on the notion that he had a silver spoon in his mouth because he was God's son. It was not predicated on the fact that he was going to live in a bed of roses. He knew what was coming right around the bend. Judas is going to show up with those Roman soldiers. The event's going to start. He's going to be put on a trial. He's going to go to the cross and die. He has no uh, inclination to believe anything but that. But he says, God, you can do anything. And if you want to do it right now, I'm open to it. But he says, nevertheless, not my will, thy will be done. Now, here, Stay with me, church. I, ho- I know this has been long, but this is so important. We say as Christians all the time, God's will be done. We prayed it in the Lord's Prayer this morning. And I hear so many of us so many times in the face of difficult circumstances say, God's will be done. But we don't say it in faith. We say it in resignation. We expect the worst. Are you with me? This bad thing has happened in my life and I don't have any way to deal with it and I can't explain it, so what am I going to say? I'm going to flip these Christian Sunday school words out of my mouth. God's will be done. Oh, no, 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 no. That limits God. Jesus told us to pray, of course, Thy will be done. If anybody understands that phrase, It's Jesus. It's a good thing. But he didn't say to pray it out of resignation to life circumstances. When I was growing up as a kid, right across the street from me from my best friend, Eddie, (laughs) I I thought about this. Most of you know that my best friend is Ed. My best friend now is Ed. It's not the same person. This was my childhood friend, my best friend, Eddie. You see, I knew my memory was going to slip, so I made sure that all my best friends had the same name. (laughs) But my best friend Eddie moved in across the street just before first grade. We went through elementary school and high school together. Eddie was there at my house all summer long, every weekend I was at his whatever. We did it all together. Eddie's mom was divorced. She lived with her boyfriend in the house across the street. Eddie's dad in the divorce got weekends i don't know how this works these days but back then usually dad got weekends we'd be walking home from the bus on thursday and eddie'd say dad's coming tomorrow dad's coming to get me tomorrow and and on friday eddie had run home he'd go in the house he'd get a bag he'd pack it up and he'd go out on the front steps of his house and he would sit down and wait for dad to come pick him up Throughout my elementary school years, that was the routine. Every Friday, whether it was summer or school time, Fridays he's sitting out there waiting for dad to pick him up after work. And it never happened. As I wrote this, and as I looked at it this morning, because I knew I was going to preach it to you, you know I wept. So you just pray for me that I'm okay right now. When I was a kid, his mother overdosed one day. She went into the medicine cabinet, took out everything she could get and just started taking it. Down it went. This is no kidding, my dad's a policeman. He has not died yet. I stood in their living room and watched my own father come out of my troll car in his police outfit take her with one of those buckets that we bob for apples in, take her head, put it down the bucket, and stick his finger up her throat. Are you with me? So she'd puke it all out. Then the ambulance came and hauled her away to pump her stomach. One day there was a a, a tower type thing in our neighborhood that you could climb up. I don't know why they didn't have it locked up, but she climbed the tower. She's going to jump. Going to end it all. Again, here's my dad, shows up in the police cruiser, and he's talking to her to get her down. My point with you, church, is this. My best friend growing up had no life whatsoever. When, when we would, you know, when Dad got cancer when I was in first grade, for the next six years, we went to Cedar Point more often than anybody on the face of planet Earth. He was trying to make up for lost time. He had five kids, seven in the family. We had a Chevy Impala. Three in the front, mom and dad and one of us in the middle, four in the back. If you know the old Impalas, they were big, but they weren't that big. And my dad wouldn't pull out of the driveway without getting the kid across the street and throwing him in the back with us. This kid had no life. And every weekend on Friday night, there he'd sit with his bag on the front porch, looking down the street for that car to come around the bend. And one day he just quit looking down the street. And guess what? You know, Cat Stevens song, the cats in the cradle with the silver spoon, the little boy blue in the mail. He lived that out. The little boy sitting on the front porch in elementary school waiting for dad to come down the street, he had a real faith. He He had a real belief and a hope. That that was going to happen for him. And finally, he learned that it never would. He just resigned himself to the fact that his father had a will, he had the ability to choose. he just chose not to. And if I could tell you how that simple thought wrecked somebody's life, if I could tell you, I won't. But Dad had a choice. That he refused to exercise when jesus prayed he prayed knowing that anything was possible with his father he prayed by faith that god would do his will when you get the apostle paul the apostle paul says all things work together for the good to those that love god and are called according to his purposes all things You see, Paul would have prayed just like Jesus and said, you know, I know that you can do anything you choose to do. I know that my circumstance right now you can fix, you can set it up right, you can do anything you want to do. But I'm going to let you make your decision because you know things I don't know and you know better than me and I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight. When we pray, Thy will be done. We ought to be praying knowing that God can but he may or may not because he's God. Not because well he really can't do it but we're going to say well it's his will because it didn't happen. When you limit God's ability you deny God's sovereignty. These, These Sadducees denied God's power and authority to do what he wanted to do. You know, i found in matters of the church, matters of faith, that there are two words that apply in just about every situation. Those words are these, can't and won't. You know what i found in the church? I have found that we confuse those two words. When we usually say that we can't, do something. The reality is it's because we won't do something. And, And that's as individuals and corporately as well. God can and he may but it's not up for us to decide on the front end that he can't. The Sadducees weren't all that different from us except for in matters of faith. They did not believe that God could raise someone from the dead, and that's all you need to know about them. How about you and what you have to deal with? That person that you do have to forgive, are you able? Is it that you can't, or is it that you won't? Because I want to tell you something, when Jesus was facing the most difficult circumstances of his life after having prayed to his father. Father, you can do anything, but thy will be done. You know what he said as it was being done? You see, you see, God said, no. I love these people so much that I need to offer a perfect sacrifice for sin, and you are the only sacrifice I have. You're my only perfect son. So Jesus said, Father, thy will be done, not mine. And you know what he said as he hung on the cross and that was going down? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. All things are possible with God. He can. How will you live if he doesn't? Will your faith be intact? Will you continue forward with a faith that knows that he can? But it's his authority that will decide whether he does. I'm going to answer the question I asked at the beginning in my Doobie Brother illustration. What does a fool believe? A fool believes it's okay to fake it. A fool believes it's okay to believe in something that really isn't there. A fool believes that I can go through the motions, say all the right things, but at the end of the day, really believe it's up to me and not up to him. That's exactly what the Sadducees' problem is. Church, I want to tell you something, God is able, God is able, and we need to trust that that is so, amen. We're not going to sing a final hymn today, but we are going to watch a video. I want to ask you to either verbally or in your head or heart, say what you see on the screen, because it so fits with the message today, I believe. (laughs) And I hope you got it.